Welcome to another exciting weekend message from Encounter Church. For more information, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Last week, we had the opportunity to hear from the missions pastor from Lifestone Church, and he shared his heart for missions, but he also shared how we can, we can become involved in missions, how we can either go or give, or at the very least, we can pray. Well, this week, we're going to start a new series, a series called Together. It's a three-week series. The first week, we're going to talk about the relationship of friendship, and it's going to be based upon the David and Jonathan, the David from David and Goliath. The second week, Pastor Jared's going to talk to us about the mission of the relationship of mission, and this is going to be based upon Christ sending out the disciples in pairs of two for a very specific mission. The third week, we're going to talk about the mission of growth, the mission where Paul, the Apostle Paul, mentored and developed Timothy. And as you can tell, this is a very relational, relationship-based series, and it's because the middle of September, we are going to launch life groups. Yes, excited. Life groups, if you came from another church, you might know them as small groups, community groups, uh, home groups, a small group of people that are going to get together during the week for a very specific purpose. Life groups, once the series is over, we will take the first two weeks of the next month and we will do a sign-up for for life groups, and then the third week they'll actually start. But I'm not going to go into too much detail yet. At the end of the month, we're going to go ahead and and talk more specifically about what does a life group look like, how is it going to happen, and when we do the sign-ups, you'll be able to meet the life group leaders, find a place that you feel comfortable, that you feel that you can connect, and we'll plug you in. Right now, though, I want to look at the idea of friendships and where they start. And when I was looking at friendships, I, I, I thought of a story that had happened to me a little bit ago. Not long ago, my friends will know that I'm an introvert. I am the epitome of an introvert. When I took my last Myers-Briggs test, a personality test where you answer a slew of questions and you get this graph, and most people range between 25 and 75% on most of their categories. When I took it, I scored 100% on being an introvert. And I don't know... I don't know whether I should be worried about that or I should just be like really proud that I finally scored 100% on a test. But the lady who gave it to me was like, I have never seen someone score 100% on any aspect of a personality test before. What that tells me is I am truly an introvert, but it, it also it explains why I do not actively look for deep, meaningful friendships around me. I enjoy the friendships I have, but I usually tend to keep people at arm's length. I tend to have a lot of surface friendships, but nothing where I like really bare my soul. And when I talk about friendships, I'm talking about pursuing real relationships, community, the idea of sharing who you are, your very soul, sharing your, your, your thoughts, your dreams, your hopes, your desires, your, your challenges. I'm talking about trusting someone fully and completely. Confide in them without reservation. I'm talking about being the real you with someone, completely raw, and letting them love you in spite of that. 
I'm not talking about casual relationships. I'm not talking about going to see the pirates, go bucks, or golfing, or going shopping, or, or going out for lunch. Those are good things. And oftentimes, those are the basis of building deeper and meaningful friendships. Those are also the perks of a deep, meaningful friendship, doing that with someone you love. But what I'm talking about is the need to find a core group of people that you can go deeper with. Finding people that you are, you are friends with, that you are committed to, when it's convenient as well as when it's not convenient. With that kind of idea of friendship, I want you to ask yourself, honestly, do I really have friends like that that I can do that with? And more specifically, can you actually name who you can do that with? It's easy to be like, yeah, yeah, I have friends I can go deep with. But who are they? Because if you can't name them, there's a good chance that you really don't have those type of relationships, those needed relationships. This week, for me, was a, the sermon was a challenge. I ended up writing it like three times before I finally headed in the direction I wanted. Spending time trying to put together a message to share is always a challenge, but it's a challenge I love. I love trying to find a way to communicate the scriptures so that they're relevant to other people. Part of, part of that is probably the fact that I'm an introvert, so I love to be with my books, right? But this week, this week was different. Every week challenges me because I can't, I can't speak something to other people that I'm not challenged with myself. It's, it's not being authentic. And, and when I'm putting together messages, it challenges me to draw closer to Christ. But, but this week, like I said, was not fun. And it wasn't fun because as I looked at friendships from a biblical perspective, and I looked at friendships from a social perspective, something became very clear to me. And that was, I am a lousy friend in a lot of ways to a lot of people. And, you know, it's not that I'm lacking friends. It's, I'm with people all week long. I meet people. I'm in, I'm in meetings with people all week long. Um, I have people asking me to do stuff. The reason I'm a lousy friend is because my lack of willingness to open up and let people see who I really am, to share my struggles, to share my joys, um, to share maybe hurts, to share victories. See, I don't want people near the intimate details of my life. I like keeping people at arm's length. And the thing is, is from the studies I'm reading, I'm not alone. That is a cultural norm. We are a culture that everybody knows when we go to the restroom on Facebook and what we have for three meals a day, yet they don't know what our daily struggles are. They don't know when we hurt. And I don't know how many times I've heard about people that have posted stuff talking about their victories and their joys on Facebook or in some other form of social media. And I talk to them later, and I'm like, did you guys go out? And it's like, no, no, there really wasn't anyone to go out with. We can be in the middle of a crowd, have tons of friends, followers all over the place, and yet still be alone in the midst of a crowd. When I was thinking about that, when I was thinking about most of these friends that I keep at arm length, 
friends who are supposed to be close, friends that I trust. I thought it was funny because almost most all my friends are in full-time ministry. They're either on church staffs or they're in full-time ministry uh, in power church or, or in missions type of work because of my work with Israel. They have my best interests at heart. They love me. I, I trust them, and, and I love them. Yet there is something that I hold back, and I think a lot of that comes from fear. It comes from fear of failure, fear of, fail, of failing them, fear of rejection of them, me opening up, and them shutting it down, fear of them thinking that the image of a pastor should be much more than what I'm prepared to be. I'm, I have a fear that they might just not like what they see. And I, I understand because of that, I understand why so many people have surface relationships. Why so many people have relationships that look like friendships on the outside, but then everybody goes home and they're alone. You know, men are especially affected by this. Let's just be honest. Women like to talk about everything, their feelings. They want to talk about how I'm feeling, what's going on in my life, and everything's related. It's like spaghetti. And they have this thing about closure. So we don't have closure on this. Can we have another talk? And, and the, only, the only closure men are looking for is, can you closure the door so I can be alone for a while? And, and it, we laugh, but it's true. I mean, we see it all the time. I understand that, that desire for closure. But more importantly than that, I need to have a desire for God's will in my life. I need to want to long for God's best for me. The way God created people is he created people for community. He created people for friendship. He calls us into relationship. And that is a, it can be a constant struggle. It will be a constant struggle if we're not used to it. It's a constant struggle because we have built unhealthy social habits. But the beautiful thing about a habit, habit is that a new habit can be learned in 30 days. It usually takes twice that to lose a habit. But we can build, we have the opportunity to reject this, this feeling of isolation within the midst of society and to build habits that develop healthy, loving, intimate friendships. Oftentimes, these, these friends that I'm, I, I talked about that most of them are in ministry, I'll get in conversations with them and they'll be like, so how you doing? And sometimes when they ask, it's at the most inopportune times because something is going on in my life. And I start, to, I start to open up in this intimacy of friendship. But then I think, ah, that might not go so well. And I shut it down. Sometimes I, I, I can justify why I shut it down. Sometimes I, I, I shut it down and I can justify it because I'm struggling with prayer in my life. I'm struggling with what God allows 
to happen in this world, some of the tragedies, and I'm angry. I struggle with some of the standards that God sets, and I'm working through that. I'm thinking, I don't, if it wasn't for Scripture, I wouldn't care about what happens with this in society. And, and I, I'm like, why, God, why do you set that standard? And so there's an anger there. Sometimes I shut down because I know I'm dealing with sin on the inside. I'm dealing with anger or jealousy. Or sometimes I'm on the phone and I just went through a tunnel or over a bridge at 5 o'clock and I am dealing with rage. <laughs> what would these people think of me? Would they, would they wonder why I'm in ministry? Would they tell me, you're a pastor. You are supposed to be rock solid in every area of your life. You are not to have cracks. What, what would happen if I was brutally honest? There might be some ramifications. But truly, probably what would happen was it would be an incredible time of conversation, of openness and love. I'd probably work through some things, and there would be full acceptance. But those are some of the issues that go through my mind. Those, those issues, whether they're faults or not, go through my mind when I begin to open up. And it's a fear that is common across the board with people. But that's my story. That's my fears. But what about you? What keeps you from opening up with someone? What keeps you from developing an intimate, meaningful friendship with others? This week, I said the, the story is about David and Jonathan, and, and it's based upon the verse of 1 Samuel 18, 1 through 4. And if you'll turn in your Bibles with me, we'll read through that verse. When David had finished speaking with Saul, Jonathan committed himself to David and loved him as much as he loved himself. Saul kept David with him from that day and did not let him return to his father's house. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as much as himself. Then Jonathan removed the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. Guys, these, these two should not have been friends for a lot of reasons. But first of all, they, they were socially removed from one another. Now, David's family was probably fairly well off, but he came from a farming community a ways from Jerusalem. And... And Jonathan was the son of King Saul, the prince of Israel, next in line for Israel. There were other issues, and, and I'll go through some of those issues as, as we go walk through their, their friendship. But I want to start at the beginning. Before Jonathan and David really met, there was a guy by the name of Samuel, Prophet Samuel. He was the leading prophet of God. He spoke directly for God. When he went somewhere, when he went into a town, everybody noticed. Everybody knew. Everybody watched the reaction of who he visited. Everybody was waiting to hear what the word from God was. And he got sent on one mission that he didn't really care for. He got sent to tell King Saul, Saul, you are a corrupt person there is, there is a void of goodness within your life that is so bad that you will not, your family will not be on the throne of Israel. 
Once you're done being king, it's over. You're a one-shot wonder. Now, Saul, of course, didn't take that very well. In fact, after that, he showed a lot of signs of mental disorder. He had blackout rages where he would do insane things and then wouldn't remember it. He dealt with paranoia for the remainder of his life and did crazy things because of it. And what he didn't realize was about this same time, Samuel went to David. He went to David's house because God said the next king of Israel is going to come from this house. And, and so he started going through his brothers. And, and David had a slew of brothers. So he goes through this slew of brothers. And you, you can imagine they're all getting upset because this guy comes to tell who the next king of Israel is going to be. And they just keep passing him one after another until they get to the littlest brother. And by littlest brother, this kid, David was probably mid to late teens. He'd already been killing bears and lions, scripture said, with his hands by this time. So he was a good-sized boy. And he comes and he says, you're going to be the next king of Israel. Problem number one with David and Jonathan being friends, Jonathan is next in line to be king. David just got told, you're going to take that kingdom. It's not usually a good start for a friendship. So... Let's, let's move forward a little bit to a story that many of us do know, David and Goliath. So now we, we fast forward a couple of years. Jonathan and David are probably in their late, late teens, maybe early 20s, and they know each other most likely to some point because by this time, David is an armor bearer to King Saul, and he's also he's known for his harp abilities. And when King Saul goes into these blackout rages, David plays his harp, and it's the one and only thing that can soothe him, which it would put me to sleep too. But David at this point has gone home, and he, and he saw his father, and his father's like, hey, there's a war going on. Your, three of your brothers are on the front line, and there's this guy who's like 10 feet tall. He's intimidating everybody. I want you to go drop some supplies to your brother. So he gathers his supplies, and he goes, and he, we hear the story of David and Goliath. He gets, he gets to the battle, and when he gets there, he sees this big old 10-foot guy intimidating the armies of Israel. And he's making fun of the armies of Israel, and he's making fun of God. And that's never a good thing to make fun of either one of those things, but for many reasons. It torques David off, and we see David's response in 1 Samuel 17, 26. It says, What will be done for the man who kills that Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Just who is this circumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Long story short, David kills Goliath with a stone, beheads him with a sword. The people of Israel fall in love with David, huzzah. Over time, Saul becomes in insanely jealous of David. Because when they start to go back off the battlefield into Jerusalem, the people are singing, Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his ten thousands. Problem number two for David and Jonathan being friends. 
Jonathan's father now has a very specific reason why they, why he does not like David. But when they first got back, King Saul asked David, he brought him forward, and he asked who he was. And it was a rhetorical question because, like I said, he was already in the service of King Saul. But it, it allowed David to give his props that he was, he was David ben Jesse, the son of Jesse. And so it was a, it was a public a public acknowledgement. He also gave his daughter. So now, now David is technically part of this whole family. Starting to sound like a soap opera, right? This is where we come into 1 Samuel 18, 1 through 4, and we're going to go back, and I just want to read that one quick time again. When David had finished speaking with Saul, Jonathan committed himself to David, and he loved him as much as he loved himself. And Saul kept David with him from that day on and did not let him return to his father's house. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as much as he loved himself. Then Jonathan removed his robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his military tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. Now this robe wasn't an inner robe. It wasn't like a muumuu he lounged around the palace with. This was an outer robe It would have been a robe that people would have known. When David walked out carrying this robe or wearing this robe, it's like he has a special connection. This robe also, because of things on the corners called zitzit, there were strings that were worn that were commanded in Deuteronomy. And because they were attached to this robe, this robe had, for people in authority, it had a sense of power to it. It had a sense of authority to it. So this was an incredibly special thing. Now, the tunic and the weapons... That was just at that point in time in the culture considered the highest honor that you could give someone. When you made a covenant, which a promise that that really held legal authority with God and man, well, when you gave him these things and you gave this highest honor, you're saying that I'm here to protect you. I'm here to stand by your side. And what it did is it gave that promise, that verbal promise, it gave it teeth. It made it tangible. It made it so that he was declaring it before everyone. Because these items that he gave, he could easily replace. There's no value necessarily in the specific item. There's value in what's behind the item. After this, though, David and Jonathan's relationship was a struggle. They're brother-in-laws technically now. And it it wasn't that there was strife. It wasn't that they didn't like each other. It wasn't like somebody did something to torque the other one off. The problem is David's popularity continued to grow in Israel. More and more people started to follow him. He developed his own band of men. They called them David's mighty men. This really didn't set well with Saul. And Saul, like I said, he was a little unhinged. At this point, one day he'd be like, oh, David, you're the greatest thing. Thank you for fighting the good fight for Israel when David would go out and attack Philistines. But then on the other hand, a few days later, he'd pick up a a spear and he'd throw it at David and try to kill him, or he would gather an army and hunt him down. Well, that's a problem. That's problem number three. It's never, never a good thing when your father is trying to hunt down and kill your best friend, somebody you just made a lasting covenant with. It was an incredible stress on Jonathan. Jonathan had everything at stake at this point. See, not only was there the fact of 
he was the next in line to be the prince or the king. And David just happened to be a warrior growing a lot of military strength here. And he knew he was destined for that. But then there's the fact that your father's unhinged. And you never know what somebody with blackout anger like that's going to do, especially someone who has the ultimate power of the country. A couple times when he got mad at Jonathan, he even took swipes at Jonathan with a spear. But Jonathan, Scripture never says that he looked back, he hesitated. He just continued forward. He knew what the cost of friendship was. And he said, I made a promise. I made a vow of friendship, and I'm going to stick with it. It it led to incredible things happening in both their lives. And this is an incredible story. I'm not going to cover everything about them. But I encourage you to go through Samuel and, and look at their friendship. Samuel, or, or Jonathan, had the courage to stand up for his friendship. He even vocally stood up to his father at one point. What this, what this shows me, what I'm learning through this example, is that if we are willing to overcome our busyness, our, our social laziness, or our fears of rejection, within friendships, that there are incredible things waiting for us. We will always be stronger when we surround ourselves by loyal friends, friends that we can be completely open and honest with. Jonathan risked the throne. David risked his very life. At any point, Jonathan could have said, he's a risk to my future. And he really was because if David took the throne, the common practice of the day was when one party came in and took the throne from another family, they wiped out everybody in the family. So there was a real risk there. But Jonathan, Jonathan was okay with that. He, he trusted David. Now David... So he could, have, he could have turned on David at any time. Or something else could have been just like, this is drama. This is too much for my life. This is stress. I'm trying to protect you. My dad's taking swings at me with a spear. I never know when I'm going to end up dead. Bro, you're on your own. Good luck. Peace out. But he stood there in David's greatest time of need, a time when David worried daily, is this the day that I'm going to wake up and be surrounded by the army of Saul? King Saul often talked about killing David when he wasn't attempting to kill David. One day he was talking about it, and and Jonathan was there, and Jonathan was silent, and I thought it was interesting that the Scripture took the time to notice that Jonathan was silent. And I wonder what that said, whether there was a moment of hesitation within his friendship. But the moment he got the chance, he got up, he slid out, it said, and he went and warned David. David was able to escape. His life was spared. And that was the last time that Jonathan was ever silent in the face of his father about his friendship to David. From that point on, he stood up and said, what you are doing is wrong. And that's when it almost cost him his life. 
after that point, not long after that point, after, after Saul tried to kill David, David and Jonathan knew that something had to give. So they came up with this plan. They said, I tell you what, you head out to a field. I'm going to go talk to my dad. And I'm going to come out to the field after my conversation with you. And if he's just a little whack, I'm going to shoot my arrow and I'm going to tell this servant who's with me to come back. And if my dad is really trying to kill you, I'm going to shoot that arrow. And when my servant gets that arrow, I'm going to say, keep going. And I want to pick up there in this one verse, our last verse for the day. 1 Samuel 20, 35 through 42. In the morning, Jonathan went out to the field for the appointed meeting with David. A small young man was with him. He said to the young man, run and find the arrows I'm shooting. As the young man ran, Jonathan shot an arrow beyond him. He came to the location of the arrow that Jonathan had shot, but Jonathan called to him and said, the arrow is beyond you, isn't it? Then Jonathan called him and said, hurry up and don't stop. Jonathan's young man picked up the arrow and returned to his master. He did not know anything. Only Jonathan and David knew the arrangement. Then Jonathan gave his equipment to the young man who was with him and said, go back, take it to the city. When the young man had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone of Azel, fell with his face on the ground and bowed three times. Then he and Jonathan kissed each other and wept with each other. Though David wept more, Jonathan then said to David, go in the assurance the two of us had pledged in the name of the Lord when he said, the Lord will be a witness between you and me and between my offspring and your offspring forever. Then David left and Jonathan went into the city. Last time they saw each other. And I just want to say, I am glad some cultural traditions have died out. The idea of greeting each other on a regular basis with a holy kiss as just crossing all kinds of red lines for an introvert like me. I'm just saying. I promise you, no, none of your life group leaders that you meet during the week will ever greet you with a kiss or a, some weird hug. But, but for David and Jonathan, though, this is an example of the extent of this long relationship that they had built. This, this was an example that brotherly love cannot be broken. This showed the example of how important a relationship is. Without that relationship, the impact on David could have been extensive. And it would have affected Jonathan too, because later on when Jonathan is killed in battle with the Philistines, his family runs and hides because they're afraid that David's going to take him out. And his one son is crippled, his only son, Jonathan's. David has no need to be loyal to him at this point. He's dead and gone, right? Jonathan finds or David finds out that he has a son alive, brings him to him, and this kid is groveling in front of David, begging for his life. And David's like, get up. He orders his servants to dress him, and basically he puts him in retirement, in a little retirement home next to the palace. There was, friendship runs deeper than when you're one-on-one with that person. Friendship is loyalty through all trials and circumstances even death. The example that we see here, the principles that we see here, these principles and values are as valuable today for us as they were back then. 
And they should especially be principles and values that we should see in the community of the body of Christ, in the church. I've seen so many churches that you can walk in and walk out and people just seem like they have blank stares on their face and there's not a lot of communication and that just shouldn't be. David and Jonathan's friendship was based, it was cored, it was anchored in a desire for God's will. And God's will is for community, for friendship. You know, before wrapping this up, I was, as I was doing the social side of studying this week, I got really curious because I kept reading how people are looking for meaningful relationships. People are desiring friendships. But all the studies are saying fewer and fewer people actually have lifelong, true quality friends. Everybody wants them, but not very many people. And a problem is, to have a friend, you need to be a friend. People are becoming increasingly private in their lives in what truly matters. Yet, we know more trivial things about people than we ever have. Social media has its pluses. Friendships with people that I, I've connected with people that I haven't seen in 30, almost 40 years. But it also allows me to settle for having those kind of friendships. I have friends. I have 385 or whatever friends. I have 200 people that follow me. Whatever. Everybody has something different. Everybody get, people get jealous when you look at somebody and it's like, oh, well, how'd they get 1,600 friends? How many of those 1,600 people do they really know? And is there a single person in that 1,600 people that they can go to and have that deep, meaningful friendship like what I was talking about at the beginning? That's the reason that we're so passionate about these life groups coming up, guys. See, we see each other for an hour on Sunday morning, and, and there is community here, and there is love and acceptance and friendship. But we're not going to build these deep kind of friendships on Sunday morning in an hour, seeing each other 15 minutes before service and 15 minutes after service. These are going to become from being involved in one another's lives, and this is what life groups is going to be about. The funny thing I, I saw was that even the most highly active, it said, people on social media did not have one single friend. Was, I, I saw three different surveys that showed that. Part of the problem is America is a transit society now. We, few people ever are born, grow up, and live and die in the same community. I'm up to nine states now. I know people that, that beat me by far. Most people I know say two or three. I started with the question, do you have any meaningful relationships? Can you name meaningful relationships? And I want to end with that same question. Think about it. Think about it as we're, as we're, as we're going into this month, as we're talking about friendships and then working as as a mission and then working in like a discipleship or a mentoring idea. 
as we talk about going into building small communities next month? Are you satisfied with the amount of friendships and with the depth of friendships? Are you satisfied that you can trust those around you and that you've built the right kind of people around you who will accept you? That's the culture that we're going to build. That's the culture, that's the season we're headed into that I'm so excited about. We need relationships like David and Jonathan. We need them because God has called us to them. We can't let fear, we can't let uh, laziness, we can't let busyness hold us back from those, those friendships, those relationships, because ultimately holding us back from that holds us back from community. And holding us back from community holds us back from the very thing that God has created us for. It holds us back, ultimately, from God's greatest will in our life. Thanks for listening to this message from Encounter Church. If you call Encounter Home, or if you would like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterPGH.com and click on the Support Encounter tab on the left side. This is a quick and simple way to stay up to date with your regular giving. We hope you join us next week.